Good evening. We are grateful that you are here. It was looking a little bleak uh, just a few moments ago, uh, both uh, with the weather and, you know, our family was here just a few minutes earlier this evening and there's no cars in the parking lot and we thought it might be just us and Leanne for a little while here, but uh, we're glad that everyone rolled in and made it safely. Uh, there was a whole new list of sermon ideas over the last few minutes. Uh, Joe said, this is what happens when you preach on hell. Uh, and so that uh, somebody said that brings to mind that it rains on the just and the unjust, but we won't line everybody up to see who is with which camp. Uh, and then somebody gave me a lesson idea on on being prepared and being early. Uh, somebody who lives on Lou Lane said that when they got here early, uh, that they got here before the rain started because they left on time and were here early. And the others who came from Lou Lane got here in the middle of the rain. And so there's maybe just a little lesson there about being on, on time, being prepared to leave, and, and all that. But uh, we're grateful that you're here. It is a lesson. I, I did mean to give a, a plug for the lesson uh, this morning uh, before we started our other lesson, and we got busy kind of giving the handouts out to everyone, and so I forgot to. Um, but it's certainly something that uh, would draw a little bit attention, but it falls right in line with everything that we've been talking about over the last few years when it comes to looking at this one-word study. I put on the, excuse me, spit there and went a little far. I put on the screen here uh, the idea of, of what we've been talking about for the last few months that we've been together with last things. If you recall that the book is broken down into certain categories, certain sections, and one of those is last things. And we've talked about judgment, talked about resurrection, and last month we talked about heaven. Well, lest you think that we're going to end with hell, it's, I want you to know that we're going to come back next month, God be willing, and talk about hope, which is uh, something that we would not, most of us, include into the last things category, but I think that will be a good study as well, especially after we talk about the idea of heaven and we talk about hell. As I mentioned, we are on week 18 uh, as we think about, or month 18 as we've thought about these particular words, but I'd like to begin by asking you the question, what do you think of when you think of the word hell? Now, for most of us, it's one of those words that, you know, we maybe were taught not to use. So anytime that it's used, even in a, a normal or biblical context, we kind of, you know, maybe cringe a little bit. We kind of uh, seize up because we think, oh, you know, that's something that we shouldn't say. I think most of us as adults know that it's something that we should discuss and understand and talk about, not something that we should talk about flippantly or just toss out as many people do when they're kind of cursing, as we say. But what do you think of when you think of that word? You know, for some people, it is in a place of eternal punishment. I really believe, I don't know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to balance in our mind, but, but I really believe there are some people who think that it is a bad place, but it is not a place that they worry about going to. Or else, as we would say, we would think they might change their behavior, right? They may, might change the way they do certain things. So they're aware of the word. They think about it being a place but they don't live their life in such a way that they're sort of maybe, you know, concerned about whether or not they end up in heaven for all of eternity or a place in hell. The other thing that I was, would mention to you here as we begin to stir your thoughts is not just the idea of cursing, maybe that people sometimes sort of toss out this word flippantly, but, but I would even caution ourselves to be careful maybe when we talk about things on earth being like hell. You know, some people say, well, you go through hell or something like that. There's song lyrics that use that kind of idea. And by no means are there not difficult situations that we have to go through. But as we're going to talk about tonight, with the way the Bible uses the word, of course, and we think about an eternal punishment, it's maybe, maybe just that we should be cautious 
when we sort of think about that. Some of you have gone through very difficult situations. Some of you are going through very difficult situations. And most people would say, reference that time frame and, and kind of give out that idea that it was like going through hell. Well, it's a difficult situation for sure, but it's just something to kind of stir our thoughts and think about tonight that maybe, you know, maybe that's not the best use of the word because of its importance and the seriousness of discussing it. In 2014, there was a religious landscape study that was done. By all accounts of what I can figure out, there was about 35,000 Americans that were surveyed, around 35,000. So by no means an extremely large number, but a snapshot of about 35,000 Americans. And 58% said that they have belief in, in hell, that there is belief in hell. Now, I'll mention to you tonight that some of these things uh, that I've used, some of the studying that I did, part of it came from one of the World Video Bible School lessons that our brother Don Blackwell did and put together about hell, the truth about hell. And he used the number 59%. Now, I I wonder, because he mentioned 2006. Well, if if I was able to connect the dots and and find correctly, I think the the study that he referenced was done in 06, but they turned around and did it again in 14. In 14, it actually came down a percent. From 59 to 58% of Americans actually have a belief that there is a hell. I don't know what to do with that. I just thought it's kind of interesting to think about the fact that, that there are only 58% of people in America that believe there is a hell. In connection with that, 72% of people interviewed or surveyed believed there was a heaven. And that's also come down. I think in 2006, it was about 74 so 1% down, 2% down, but, but 72% had a belief in heaven. We know that we live in a world that it's a struggle a lot of times to have religious conversations with people to talk about heaven and hell and that kind of thing. And while it feels like for a large majority of our lifetime, your lifetime, our country, that you would have thought that number would have been much higher because we kind of lived in a religious country, we know that the world is shifting towards those who have no belief or agnostic or or atheist and and are unsure about things. And so, I don't know, maybe those numbers fall right in line. How about this? The one thing that came to my mind is, pretty sure they should be equal, shouldn't they, in some form or fashion? I mean, if 72% of people believe in heaven, you would think that 72% of people at least would believe in hell. But there are, in another side of the times maybe, more people who would like to think about the good stuff and less people who would like to think about there being a place of punishment. But again, we want to talk about some of these things tonight specifically from the Bible. When we talk about the word hell in the Bible, the word hell is found 23 times in your King James Version New Testament. Now, I don't know how many of you are carrying around a King James Version, but that's kind of important. And let me back up for just a second and say as well, in in some of the studying that I, I was doing and some of the sources that I was consulting It's kind of believed that in the Old Testament, there is no specific word for the place of the wicked dead. Now, they knew people died. I mean, right? We understand that. They know they talk about the grave. The psalmist talks about the grave. But maybe their theology was of not of the sort just yet advanced enough that they were thinking about these things just yet. So we're going to kind of skip over the Old Testament for the sake of our study tonight. And we're going to talk for a few moments about the New Testament. 
Now, in the early 1600s, as the King James Version is going to come into existence, it's important for us to think tonight, and some of you may have studied this before, that those King James Version translators took three Greek words and translated them into one English word. And that's where we're going to focus a, a good bit of our attention tonight before we make application. This is supposed to be a word study, right? A one-word study. I tell you that I am by no means an expert uh, or have the, the great history in the languages but rely on others for some ideas. But it would appear that you may have trouble having discussions with some people about the idea of hell and the concept of hell because of this exact slide, all right? I don't know how many of you have studied this in detail before, but this is very important to our discussion because you will find countless, among countless people in our society in particular that we deal with who have great confusion about what happens when we die. And I don't know, once again, I would promote our brother Don Blackwell's information. He has a lesson that he's done on that for many, uh, many different gospel meetings, many different places he's presented that. You can find it on YouTube or on the World Video Bible School through them. Um, but there, it's a great, important study because so many people say things, and I would say they're just being ignorant. And that doesn't mean stupid, but just unlearned, unsure. They say what they've always heard about what happens when we die or when a person dies. And while that's unfortunate, it would help us tonight to take a few moments and try to consider exactly what the Bible has to say about these words, and in particular, the word of hell. The first word that we're going to talk about is Hades. And it is used ten times in your, again, King James Version New Testament. The Greek word Hades is translated ten times in the King James Version, and most recent, recent versions transliterate the term, bringing it directly into English as Hades. Now, the other problem here for our study tonight is we're not going to take the time to go through a great discussion on versions and translations and that kind of thing. Maybe we can do that soon. If you have questions, by all means, we'll always take those uh, as we can after services or in the future, but it's going to just uh, be something we'll kind of have to, to gloss over for tonight as we think about these words and the translations that we're going to talk about. Hades is used for the general abode of the spirits of the dead, whether good or evil. We might say the place that all go when they die. I even heard someone, and I'm going to get confused on, on some of the sources that I was using, had several that I was consulting, uh, but some people, call, one person called it a holding area. I don't know if that's the best way, but a, a kind of a way to describe this particular location, if you will, the place that all go when they die. So we could say it this way, the righteous, when they die, they go to Hades. Most people would say, well, that's condemnation. That's, that's not a good thing. No, the righteous, when they die, go to Hades. The wicked, when they die, go to Hades. There's nothing wrong with that, although it might cause confusion if you're trying to talk to someone. Now, we see that it's sometimes used interchangeably with death. Let's talk about a few passages. First of all, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 in verse number 18. Matthew 16 and verse 18. When Jesus here is speaking in this famous passage, and we don't always uh, reference all of it, 
or this is not usually why we read it, what we point out, but verse 17, Jesus answered to Peter's statement that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now again, I have the New King James, that's what I usually use here the bible i use in studying and preaching so jesus is saying here that death would not prevent his kingdom when christ promised to build his church and declared that the gates of hades would not prevail against it he may have been suggesting that when he died hades would not retain his soul thus preventing the establishment of his kingdom death would not prevent his kingdom from coming, from being established, and that's what he is saying here to Peter. In connection with that, go forward to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 in verse number 31, <clears throat> we point, this is, I think we're guilty of this sometimes, just being honest, but we, we will point to Acts 2.38, but we don't always think about the sermon leading up to Acts 2.38, and in verse 31 is one of those places where if you're not careful, someone says, wait a minute, they'll stop you and they'll ask, what is this saying? What does this mean? We might get tripped up if we're not careful. But Peter preaching that sermon says, he, God, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Or speaking of, of David there. And so we see here that this is not the eternal punishment. Jesus was not sent, Christ was not sent to eternal punishment. And that's unfortunately a confusion that, that some people get into. Uh, when Christ died while his body was resting in Joseph's tomb, he's, his soul was in Hades, the holding area, the place when all go when they die. And look as well in Luke chapter 23, Luke 23 and verse 43. We're going to look at several passages tonight if you're turning and following along. You recall this passage that the criminals who are hanged with him on the cross there, on their crosses, beginning in verse 39, are talking to each other and they're looking to Jesus in verse 42. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise, which here is called paradise, or as we said a moment ago from Acts chapter 2, we think about his soul being in Hades. And even, we'll talk about this in just a minute, but we go to Luke 16. That's the other passage, right, that we usually reference, that this seems to have been the same state as Abraham's bosom in Luke chapter 16, uh, that is also considered a place of comfort. So, we already see, we've got the word hell, we're trying to talk about that, we add in the word Hades, which is used a lot of times, maybe even by some people, as a euphemism for hell. You know, they don't want to say hell, so they say Hades if they're kind of, you know, using it in, in their language. But it helps us to try to understand exactly what is being said here. And we would think that in the ten times it's used, it's a place where all go when they die, or this holding area, if you will. The second word that we're going to talk about tonight, this thing has got a mind of its own, is Tartarus. <clears throat> Excuse me, Tartarus. And if you have your Bible, you'll want to be turning to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 in verse number 4. The Apostle Peter, 
writes in 2 Peter, and by the way, I think I, I needed to mention this, but if you have your outline in front of you, if you have a bulletin in front of you, it may say 1 Peter, I think. I don't know if that got corrected or not. But if it does say 1 Peter, please, by all means, write 2 Peter. That was a typo on my part uh, that I sent to faith, I think, incorrectly. 2 Peter, 2 Peter 2, 4. So the Apostle Peter writes here that God spared not his angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Now we notice once again here, we said Hades is not eternal punishment. Tartarus is the word that is used here one time, and it is not eternal punishment. We would say, and there's a couple of different ideas, and without bogging us down tonight with really hashing out these arguments, uh, most people tend to believe that this would be the place inside of Hades where the wicked await their judgment. Or in Luke chapter 16, it's the idea of torments. Torments. Uh, it's originally it denoted a deep place, this particular word. Uh, it carries significance in Job, actually. We talked about you know, there being some references in the Old Testament. But even Homer, Homer the Greek poet, spoke of dark Tartarus, the deepest pit in the Iliad. Dark Tartarus, the deepest pit. And here it is used of the abode of evil angels prior to their banishment to eternal punishment. And so, you know, it, there's a couple of different arguments, again, that could be had about this for the sake of our time tonight. We won't, uh, we won't go into those in great detail, but it's going to be a place. If Hades is the place where all go, as we said just a moment ago, Jesus goes to paradise, and then there is torments or Tartarus. So all go to Hades, but they go to either paradise or the comfort or to the torments of Tartarus. One time, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. The other word that we want to talk about tonight, the final word here, is the idea of Gehenna. Gehenna. And this is used 12 times. And interestingly enough, 11 of the times it is used by Jesus. You know, we, we talked about hell, I think, a, a year or two ago it may have even been 2019, that we talked about <clears throat> some misconceptions of hell. And we said that, that some people who want to pay, paint God as a loving God, Jesus as a loving person who helped everyone and loved everyone, and how can we be more like Jesus? Those things are kind of true. I mean, th th that's part of the picture. But of the 11, or excuse me, of the 12 times that the word hell is used as eternal punishment, 11 of them are Jesus speaking. So yes, he talked about love. Yes, he talked about helping your neighbor. Yes, he talked about helping the poor and those who are afflicted. But he also talked a lot about hell. And it's an interesting study if you have time to go into that. <clears throat> Again, 11 times by Jesus. And as we said, this is eternal punishment. Now, let's talk for just a moment about the word Gehenna. If you have your Bibles, go with me back to 2 Chronicles chapter 28, chapter 28 all the way to 2 Chronicles. Chronicles 28, specifically in verse number 3. The word Gehenna is what's called a transliteration of the Old Testament Hebrew expression, the Valley of Hinnom. And you, you kind of see it there, Hinna or Hinnom, which was a ravine on the southern side of Jerusalem. It was an actual place, a location. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, and verse number 3, 
it says that he burned incense, speaking of Ahaz here, who was the king, he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Now, it's the new King James. It ends in an O-M. And burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. You look at 2 Chronicles 33 and verse number 6, and you see a, a similar statement. The idea that he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And you even see a mention of soothsaying or witchcraft or sorcery there. This valley, I mean this actual location, this valley on the south side of Jerusalem was used by certain Hebrews who had, we might say are apostate, fallen away Hebrews, as a place, and it hurts to even say it, but where their children were offered into the fiery arms of a pagan god. Children burned. Sacrifice. That idea of pass through the fire is, is something as abominable as we could even imagine. Sacrificing our children, literally letting them be burned, sacrificed in that way. Now, notice with me as well 2 Kings chapter 23. 2 Kings chapter 23. Because it was an area of suffering and weeping. In 2 Kings 23, verses 10 through 14, as Josiah... Josiah, who's going to be one of the good kings in the southern kingdom, Josiah, 2 Kings 23, 10 through 14, Josiah launches his reformation, and when he launches his reformation, this valley was regarded as a site of heinous abomination. And in the end, even after 2 Kings 23 there, as Josiah is restoring this true worship, and he says in verse 10 that no one should have to do this. No one should make their son or daughter to pass through this. It eventually becomes a garbage heap, a garbage dump, this valley, and where the folks of Jerusalem would place or deposit their garbage. And so essentially there is a, cont a continual fire if you will. It was a continual burning of refuse or garbage. And so it's kind of interesting as we think about this word being a transliteration of the valley of Hinnom or Hinnon, where we get our word Gehenna, where there's literal fires that are being burned there. And so there are several places that it is used in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 22, we've already talked about the Sermon on the Mount some in our Wednesday night class. But in Matthew 5, when Jesus says, And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. He's warning those that whoever addressed their brother as, You fool, shall be in danger of the hell of fire. Now, this doesn't mean <clears throat> that it's a, a legitimate use of just simply the word fool, Rather, it seems that the Lord is condemning the explosive use of, of these kind of barbs at one in, in anger as we think about the, the Sermon on the Mount kind of causing us to, to rethink these things. And so it's used by, by Jesus in, in several places. Matthew chapter 10 in verse number 28 is one of the other spots. Matthew 10, 28. On this occasion, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of them that kill the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, in Gehenna, there, the eternal punishment. And 
the other, the last passage that I'd have you turn to for this particular study is James chapter 3. Because this is the one instance outside of Jesus that we think about it being used. The final use is in where James affirms in James chapter 3 and verse number 6 that the tongue is set on fire of hell. Now this may possibly suggest that the ability to control one's tongue is about as difficult as it would be to contain the continuously raging flames of Gehenna. As we think about flames and even eternal punishment here in particular. It's a very serious thing to consider these words, to consider an eternal punishment. And what I'd like for us to do as we begin to conclude this lesson is make a couple of applications as we sometimes do in these one-word studies. The first is the idea that there have been many books over what some call and what's been kind of created as a genre of books as heaven tourism. Right? Have you read any of those before? It's a, it's a genre that would take the reader on a trip to heaven to experience what it might be like. Sometimes these are stories that are told as part of a near-death experience. I, I've read a couple myself just out of curiosity of what they, they said. They've climbed the bestseller charts. Sometimes they've even had movies made of these. They're interesting. They're, they're kind of compelling in a way. But it's striking that heaven tourism has taken over our entire shelves at the bookstore, right? At the Christian bookstore. But hell tourism, you don't find too many of those books. But yet scripture has plenty to say. Hell, and, and if you have your Bible, let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 9. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. We know verses, really verses 3 through 8 of 2 Thessalonians 1. We think about that we will have rest, that there will be rest from those when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angel, but he's returning to inflaming fire to take vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's interesting that here, and I'm guilty as much as anybody of stopping right there. We kind of read through verse 8 and we stop. But go over to verse number 9, and we notice that the Bible does speak about hell and in this idea of hell tourism. Hell is eternal destruction, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. Hell is burning like an oven that sets the wicked ablaze and destroys their future. Malachi, excuse me, Malachi chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3. Hell is a place that is filled with the gloom of utter darkness, Jude and verse 13. And then we might say as well, and maybe this is the worst case scenario. And again from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. It is a separation from God. When we think about the, the punishment. When we think about and we even discussed very briefly in our class this morning. Jerry led us in our thoughts on 2 Peter there. We talked about whether it's their idea of degree of reward or degree of punishment. And we could even talk about that. But ultimately, it hurts and should hurt, hopefully, for us to consider, to think about that it's separation from God. Separation from God for all of eternity. Now, I know that heaven tourism is a great thing. We want to think about the joys that await us there. We want to read books like that sometimes. But it also can encourage us to think about hell tourism, being separated from God. Do we do things because we love God, because we want to go to heaven? Do we do things sometimes because we're afraid of going to hell? 
Yes, right, both, sometimes, different answers at different times. But yes, we need to seriously consider this idea of hell and being separated from God. The last point that I'd like to share with you, and then this lesson will be yours. If you have your Bibles, let's go to 2 Peter. This is actually the lesson that I think we talked about last week, if I'm not mistaken, in our Sunday morning class, if you're a part of that one here in the auditorium. But 2 Peter chapter 2. Really, the author of this particular devotional thought gives the whole chapter, 2 Peter 2, and the, the entire chapter. But let's, let's think for just a moment about a couple of things. Why does a police officer write speeding tickets? That's the way this particular devotional that I'd like for us to conclude with begins. Why does a police officer write speeding tickets? When the blue lights are in our rearview mirror, we tend to get cynical about the officer's motivation for pulling us over. Maybe the department is trying to raise some money in fines. Maybe the officer has a quota to meet, and it's the end of the month. Maybe his ex-girlfriend drove the same color, uh, same color and model car that I do. Right? We do that sometimes. It's easy to look at the ticket and assume a negative motivation. Would it change your feeling about that officer if you knew that his child was hit and killed by a speeding driver? And this author of this particular devotional thought says sometimes we get cynical about hell. Why did God make such a place? Atheists love to try to paint hell as some sort of outdated injustice that must be left behind in our modern enlightenment. But Peter reveals a very different motivation behind divine punishment. And if you look at 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse number 4, I don't know if you mark in your Bible, this is one of those places that maybe you can. Notice that he begins in verse number 4 with a series of if statements. Now, again, depending on the version that you're looking at, you may not see ifs. You notice in verse number 4, it begins for if. And some of you will have a version that maybe in verse 5 says and, and sometimes it says if as well there. But notice in verse 4, there is an if. You might circle that. Notice in verse 5, there is either an and or an if. You can circle that. In verse 6, there is an and or an if, you can circle that. In verse 7, there is an and or an if, you can circle that. Peter uses a series of if statements to make a point, or they're connected. He says, for if God did not spare the angels, and if God did not spare the ancient world, if God did not turn the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, or turn the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. And verse 7, And if God delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, if, 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 and you go over to verse 9, then. And you can maybe either circle or underline then. Then introduces the point of the passage and the motivation for God's punishment of sin. Here's the point. God punishes sin because he loves his people. If God did not spare the angels, if he did not spare the ancient world, if he did destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, if he did deliver Lot, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Think about it this way. What sort of parent would sit idly by while someone abuses his child. Even an atheist has a hard time imagining that Hitler or someone like Hitler could escape justice. God cannot stand sin. It is an affront to his holiness and it is 
the complete opposite of his love. God created hell because sin needs punishment. And if he is going to protect and love his children, then there needs to be the punishment of sin and those who are wicked. Let's not be cynical. God is not a traffic cop who is working on some quota. He is the Lord of the universe who wants everyone to love him, but understands that not everyone will. That's a harsh reality. It's kind of hard to swallow that sometimes when we think about hell, but it is absolutely the truth. For the sake of time tonight, we're going to, to put a stop there and, and stop this particular study. You could go on and on looking at some of these words and their usages. We could go several different ways to think about the way that we think about hell and how it motivates us. But what it certainly should do in these next few moments as we conclude this lesson and we think about heaven's invitation has caused us to think about our lives. As we said this morning, it's tragic, the things that happen. It's sad to think about the fact that people lose children, children lose parents, faithful Christians get sick, faithful Christians die. Tragedy happens to all those. It rains on the just and the unjust. Our goal should be to be prepared, to realize that we have an opportunity to have a home in heaven, enjoying the things that we talked about a month ago with God for all of eternity. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death. We also have a choice in that we can choose to be punished for all of eternity. We don't want anyone to choose that. God does not want anyone to choose that, although certainly some will. Tonight, a song has been selected that through its words, we might encourage you to think about your standing with God. Do you need to become a Christian tonight to have that hope? And, and I, I beg you to come back in a month from now. We'll talk about hope. Do you have that hope? As we think about the good news of the Bible, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, have you been obedient? If not, why not? Why not tonight? Why not become a Christian, be added to the Lord's church so that you can begin to live faithfully and have a home in heaven, have that hope of a home in heaven that's waiting. Maybe you're not faithful. Maybe you've wandered away. Maybe you've got sin in your life. And if you're honest with yourself, as you sit here and as you leave tonight, you maybe got a little something in the back of your mind nagging at you saying, I just don't know. You know, I just don't know. My relationship's not what it should be with God, and I'm not sure where my eternal place would be. We beg of you, do not leave with that on your heart, on your mind, but make it right tonight. You can come back to God. As a child of God, you can come back to him, repent of your sin, and pray for forgiveness, and he is faithful to forgive us that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. It's great to be together. It's great to worship God. But I also think it is so important in these last few moments here, even as we conclude this lesson, to encourage one another. Can we encourage you either to become a Christian or come back to him, even now as we stand together and as we sing?